Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and welcome back to episode 2 of Behind You. Um, before getting started, I do want to give a big thank you to all of the love and support on episode 1. It absolutely meant so much to me that you guys are loving this show just as much as I am and I hope that you stick around and if not, completely fine, girl no pressure. But today we are going to be talking about the case of Stephen Beard. Now, now, before getting into this case, I do want to give a little warning and disclaimer that this story contains topics such as suicide, murder, child neglect, and child abuse. So if you are sensitive to any of those topics, viewer discretion is advised. So I think that's all I need to get started with. So without further ado, let's just hop right into this case. It is a lot to get through, so hold on. Stephen Franklin Beard II was born on November 27th, 1924 in Austin, Texas, more specifically the Travis County area. He was an only child to his father, Stephen, and his mother, Mildred. And growing up, Stephen was described as a very loving person. He was definitely the type of person that would always hug you instead of going in for a handshake. He made any room that he went into just light up. He was also a social butterfly. He didn't really just stick to one specific friend group. He kind of jumped around to multiple and that was just his personality. He loved talking to people and he just had this natural talent for talking to people. And after high school, that is actually when he took his talents into college and he attended the University of Georgia and majored in advertising and marketing. But unfortunately, in the early 1940s, that dream was cut short because in his freshman year, uh, that is when the war had started. So he was drafted into the war and he was drafted into the Navy where he was trained as a pilot. Now, in 1945, that is when the war had ended. So when the war ended and Stephen was able to go back home, he completed his degree at university. So then the following year in 1947, that is when he met a woman by the name of Elise Adams and they started dating and a lot of people describe the couple as twin flames essentially they were best friends they did everything together and went everywhere together they were basically just always joined at the hip and then on april 10th of 1948 that is when the couple got married that is when steven got a job in sales at a radio station so basically his job was to pitch the radio station to different um like advertisers and try to get sales and then the following year on march 22nd of 1949 that is when Elise and Stephen had their very first child, a son named Stephen III. And then three years later, on September 9th of 1952, that is when they would go on to have their second child, a daughter named Becky. And after a few years of having Stephen and Becky, that is when Stephen decided to quit his job at the radio station and he was hired on as an assistant to the president of an ad firm and this career what is what really took Stephen off career-wise. He was getting a lot more money at this job and he was succeeding quite quickly than he was at the radio sales job. And then on November 18th of 1953, they would go on to have their third child, a son named Paul. So after they had their third child, Stephen quit his job as the assistant and went on to become a general manager of a media station. Now, just like his last job, he started getting a lot of money at this new job so much money to the point where he was able to retire early so although he was retired he loved spending more time with his family because he absolutely adored his family but the thing about it was that he is a very hard-working man he loves to work he loves to as I said socialize and be around people so retirement really wasn't as glamorous as he thought it was going to be so that is when he started to dabble in a little bit of 
of real estate investing just so he could do some side work during his retirement. And so with his experience in media, he actually opened up his own media and broadcasting business. That is when he co-founded the Fox Affiliates KBOV and made even more money than he was before. Now, with living this very luxurious lifestyle, the family had a lot of money. And as I said, Stephen already retired early because he had that much money. And then now that he was back out working again, he was just getting even more money. And because of this, the family was kind of raised into this very luxurious lifestyle, especially Elise. Elise was definitely a trophy wife. Uh, If you've ever seen the show Gilmore Girls, uh, Emily and Richard Gilmore, that was basically like their couple dynamic. They were very classy. Um, Elise loved to throw parties at their big house. She was an avid member of the country club that uh, Stephen would attend to and play golf frequently at. So the couple was just thriving. And again, there was really no big problems in their marriage. They were just totally in love and just did everything together. Elise was also Stephen's number one fan throughout all of his endeavors when he was starting his own business, when he was working all these odd jobs, when they were having kids. She was his number one fan throughout it all. And so they also had two dogs together named Nikki and Megan. And Megan was Elise's dog. And it was said that Stephen would ride around to most places in a limo. And that's not because he didn't know how to drive. It was just because he had the money to ride around in a limo. So he hired his own driver and he was able to just drive wherever he wanted to. And then unfortunately in 1993, after 45 years of marriage, Elise was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. Now this was a very big shock to the entire family and especially Stephen. As I said, Stephen and Elise were like best friends and Stephen and the whole family was just very terrified because they didn't know what was going to happen to Elise. And then unfortunately on October 19th that year at the age of 67, uh, Elise had passed away. Now, the family was completely heartbroken about this, especially the father, Stephen, because by this point, his three kids were already older. Um, his oldest was 44, his daughter, Becky, was 42, and Paul was 41. So at this point, all of the kids were moved out of the house. So now with Elise gone, it was literally just Stephen all by himself. And For the past 45 years, he has had Elise in his life, and so he didn't really know how to cope with it or not have companionship anymore, especially in this huge house all by himself. And so he started to take up a little bit on drinking after this just because he was trying to cope with all of these emotions that he never felt before and the fact that everything happened so quickly. So then two weeks later, he's at the country club and there's this waiter there, a 30-year-old woman by the name of Celeste Martin. And he's always seen Celeste around and sometimes she would waitress to his table, but she he would never really spark up a conversation with her until this one particular day. Stephen had asked Celeste if she wanted to go out to dinner with him. Now, a little bit of backstory on Celeste. Uh, Celeste was born on February 13th, 1963 in California. She was actually adopted when she was a baby by her mom, Nancy and her father Edwin and so she says that she never really had contact with her birth parents. She actually tried to connect with her birth mother at a very young age but her mother said to her quote I am not your mother I was just your incubator and so with that it was very hard for Celeste to really find her place because since she was adopted she just felt like no one wanted her and also she said that her father Edwin her adopted father father would frequently abuse her at home so she just felt like she didn't belong anywhere and so then in 1980 at the age of 17 that is when she would move out with
with her boyfriend named Craig Batcher. Now, with Craig, Craig had a very similar upbringing in that his parents were not the best of parents, and so Celestin and Craig decided to move out together and later on get married, and shortly after the marriage, that is when Celeste found out that she was pregnant, and not only was she pregnant at 17, she was also pregnant with twins, Jennifer and Christina. Craig was super, you know, there the entire pregnancy until after the pregnancy, Craig fell into drugs and alcohol, and Celeste said that once he started to get addicted to drugs and alcohol, he became very, very abusive to the point where he was actually arrested for his assault on Celeste and the kids. So then shortly after that, in the mid-1980s, that is when Celeste broke it off with Craig, and that was kind of the beginning of their custody battle because Craig wanted the kids, but Celeste didn't want him to have the kids because Celeste wanted Jennifer and Christina. So that was kind of the start of their custody battle. And in the midst of their custody battle, in 1991, that is when Celeste married and met a man by the name of Harold Wolf, who was an Air Force mechanic, but later divorced that same exact year in 1991, saying that Harold basically ghosted her. He was sent off to be stationed in Iceland, and once he hit in Iceland, he just never called her back, and so that relationship had ended. And then shortly after that, in 1992, that is when Celeste married a man by the name of Jimmy Martinez. And so Celeste and Jimmy decided to move from California to Texas to basically start a whole new life, just to, you know, give themselves a blank canvas, start all over. So they moved to Texas, and that is when Celeste got her job as a waitress at a country club. Now, Celeste actually had seen Stephen and Elise there before, she would frequently serve to their table because it was said that Stephen was very high maintenance and he liked his vodka done very specifically and Celeste was the only one that could really do it the way that he liked so she would frequently serve to his table but now with Elise gone that is when Stephen decided to approach Celeste and ask her out to dinner which Celeste replied yes. So two weeks later the couple started seeing each other more and more often and they realized that they had a lot in common because uh, Stephen at this point had just had Elise pass away so he was looking for companionship and he was kind of going through that separation while Celeste was going through the same exact situation. She was just going through a divorce with Jimmy Martinez as well as a custody battle with Craig. So since they, you know, were both in a tough spot right now in life, they decided to become a couple in order to kind of cope through all of these emotions together. So as the couple started seeing each other more and more often, that is when Stephen actually gave Celeste a job. So Celeste quit her job at the country club and she became a full-time house assistant for Stephen. So her main job was to like cook for Stephen, clean for Stephen. She would um, take care of the dogs when needed, just basically took care of household things. And Stephen, because of this, absolutely spoiled Celeste. Celeste, when they first met each other, Celeste got a whole new wardrobe. She was able to get new clothes, new jewelry. She traveled with him everywhere he went. They always traveled first class. They were avid members of the country club. And basically, he gave Celeste the life that Elise once had. And so that is basically how their life pursued. And Celeste really liked Stephen. She thought that Stephen was a very kind man. And also the fact that he had money as well. That meant that he could also take care of her two twins, Jennifer and Christina. So on February 18th of 1995, that is when the couple got married and Stephen at the time was 70 years old and Celeste was 32. And a lot of people found this age gap very weird, uh, especially Stephen's kids and Celeste's kids as well. They just all thought that this was clear that she was using him for money and 
I don't know, like a lot of people who saw the relationship saw that Celeste didn't really have that connection with Steven. They weren't really close as him and Elise were, but they just didn't really say anything about it. They just kind of let them do what they wanted to do. And especially Steven's kids, Steven's kids, although they didn't really agree with what Steven was doing, they didn't say anything because they said that Steven, for the first time in a very long time, looked like he was genuinely happy and he was genuinely in love with Celeste so they just kind of kept quiet and didn't say anything so then that is when Steven built a mansion for himself Celeste and her two daughters Jennifer and Christina in Toro Canyon and once they actually moved into the household that is when Celeste and her two twins their life basically just did a complete 180 overnight. They went from, you know, living into like a middle class area to living in a gated community overnight in this whole huge mansion. The twins were able to get their own rooms. They had a whole new wardrobe, jewelry, school was paid for. They went to private school. Like it was just a complete 180 in their lifestyle just overnight. And same thing for Celeste as well. Celeste had designer clothes still with the tags on them. She had designer shoes that hadn't even been worn yet. She was really taking advantage of Steven's money and basically just using it to go shopping. She would also say frequently to her friends that they wouldn't really have sexual interactions at all and they would only have it once a week on Sunday. And uh, Steven would also give Celeste a weekly allowance and so that allowance basically lasted her the entire week to do whatever she wanted with it whether she spent it on jewelry or clothes or whatever she wanted personally. Now because of this uh, as I said Jennifer and Christina were moved in but Celeste was still in her custody battle with Craig and now with Stephen by her side she was able to get the best of the best lawyers but even with the best of the best lawyers she was not able to get full custody of both girls and then in 1995, that is when uh, the court had basically said that Christina, one of the twins, was to live with Celeste and Jennifer, the other twin, was to live with Craig. Now, in 1996, uh, the following year, Craig had actually killed himself. So this led Jennifer to live with Celeste, Stephen, and Christina. So at first, when the girls moved into this house together, they were a little uncomfortable with Steven just because he was a new dad and their previous dad had just passed away so it was still all super fresh to them but they warmed up to Steven quite quickly once they realized how much Steven actually loved them and then in 1999 when the girls were 17 years old that is when Steven had legally adopted Jennifer and Christina but although on the outside things looked like it was you know going really well for this family behind the scenes it was very toxic it was said that there were a lot of arguments going on in the household especially between Celeste and Stephen or Celeste and the girls sometimes the girls would defend Stephen which would make you know Celeste even more mad and there were a lot of heated arguments in the house and there was this one specific heated argument where Celeste had basically took a gun on herself in front of Stephen and the girls and said quote, if this is what you want, I'll just end it all. And so the family by this, you know, Stephen, Jennifer, and Christina, they're looking at Celeste like, what are you doing? Don't do that. So they eventually calm Celeste down. And once she is calmed down, that is when they, you know, all come together and agree that Celeste needs help. So they were very supportive of trying to get her better. And so they admitted her into the St. David's Pavilion Mental Hospital. And they were all very supportive of her getting better. Christina actually visited uh, her mother every single day while she was in there just to make sure that she was being properly treated and just to make sure that her mom was doing okay in there. And so on one of Christina's visits, that is when she tells her mom, you know, hey, you're going to be here for a while. So why don't you try to make some friends? And so Celeste takes up Christina on that advice. And that is when she meets a woman by the name of Tracy Tarleton. 
So a little bit of backstory on Tracy Tarleton. Tracy Tarleton grew up in Fort Worth, Texas with two brothers and growing up she was in a little bit higher than middle class. Her father was a famous attorney so she kind of grew up with money and growing up she was also a really big tomboy because of her two brothers. So she would frequently go hunting and fishing and she just wasn't like a typical girly girl. She was definitely more in the mud kind of playing with her brothers. She would wrestle with her brothers a lot and as a kid she was very well liked by everyone. Everyone saw her as a light to be around. She was very funny, very sociable, but as far as Tracy internally, she was dealing with her sexuality. She knew from a very, very young age that she was gay, but she just was afraid to tell anyone because her family was extremely strict when it came to that. So instead of telling anyone, and she also didn't really have best friends to tell either. She mostly just had friends at school. So because of this, she just kind of pushed it down and hoped that it would go away. And then as a kid, she also went to summer camp as well. And she was actually voted the favorite camper at her summer camp. And she went to the summer camp every year until when she had gotten out of that age group, she was able to become a summer camp counselor. And as a camp counselor, she was known to be very rowdy when all of the counselors would go out together. She would just always like push people around like random strangers, try to get strangers to fight her or just spark up arguments with strangers for no reason. And she would always laugh about it, but it was only funny to her. Like the counselors were like, you shouldn't be doing that, Tracy. That's, you know, that's too much. You just can't do that. But she just didn't really care. She was just always out there and super raunchy. So all of this like rowdiness and craziness kind of grew into anger issues. And she She, again, just started making problems with people everywhere she went. And a lot of people think that maybe these anger issues were stemmed from her suppressing her sexuality and her not having a best friend to vent to or anything. Every issue, every problem that she came across, she never really spoke about it. Instead, she just kind of shoved it down in hopes of it going away. And so after high school, she ended up going to college for biology and joined a sorority, hoping that maybe if she joined a sorority. It would basically help her get out of her shell and get out of her head a little bit. And her family, being the oldest daughter, they expected her to have a husband. And this made Tracy even more stressed because, as I said, she was a lesbian. And whenever her family would always bring up Tracy, you know, having kids and making their parents a, uh, making their parents grandparents, it put a lot of stress on Tracy. She thought that she had to be this certain way but she knew deep down she wouldn't be happy doing that so instead again she basically drank her pain away and shoved it all down and all of this um and all of this actually led her to attempting to kill herself whilst in college and after this attempt had failed she just decided to drop out of college in general she just felt like it wasn't for her and then after dropping out of college she fell into a pretty bad substance abuse, more specifically heroin, and this led her to go to rehab. In 1989, uh, after rehab, she went back to school and she graduated with her degree in biology and she got various jobs in biology until she landed this specific job as a general manager position at a place called uh, Book People. And at this place, she worked 60 hours a week and managed 150 staff. So this was very stressful work. But since, you know, as I said, Tracy was just trying to distract herself the whole time. She wasn't trying to think about her feelings or talk about it. So this was kind of the perfect job for her. So it just kind of allowed her brain to go anywhere else but where it was trying to go. But this was extremely unhealthy because one day at work, she completely exploded in front of the staff, customers, and her boss. She basically just had a huge 
tantrum and not like a temper tantrum like a four-year-old she just basically got so angry at one little thing and basically blew up in front of her boss the customers her staff members and because of this they grew very concerned for her and that is when she got admitted into the saint david's pavilion center and that is when she met celeste So Celeste and Tracy, when they first met each other, they already knew that they were going to be best friends for a very long time. They had a lot in common. Their backstories were very, very similar. Tracy as a kid was abused by her father and Celeste as a kid was also abused by her father. So they bonded over childhood trauma. They also had the same interest in movies and music. And even after they both left the St. David's Pavilion, they became best friends they still kept in contact they were always at each other's houses Uh, Celeste would always bring Tracy over to the house but whilst they were at the pavilion there was actually this one incident where the nurse had walked into Tracy and Celeste getting a little handsy in Tracy's room and because of this the girls were forced to be separated and uh, slept on different wings of the hospital so then in June of 1999 that is when they were both discharged but when they were, Celeste basically spoiled Tracy the same way that Stephen had spoiled Celeste. Uh, they were always around each other, but Celeste was always buying Tracy certain gifts. They were always out and about going to fancy restaurants, flying first class. She was buying Tracy jewelry and clothes and from, you know, some perspectives, this friendship looked like a friendship, but as far as, like, other people's opinions, they said that this friendship was a little bit too handsy to just be a regular friendship. It was said that Celeste would always sit on Tracy's lap, and Tracy would frequently play with Celeste's hair and whisper in her ear, and they were always very handsy and touchy with each other in front of people, and so people just kind of assumed that this was was a little bit odd. It did look a lot more than just a friendship. And same thing with Celeste's daughters as well. Celeste's daughters actually saw this relationship as more than just a friendship and they kind of felt a little weird about it because Celeste was married to Stephen. But Celeste just kind of brushed it off as if it was no big deal. She said, quote, Tracy is a lesbian, but I'm not. Just because we're close, that doesn't mean anything. And then one night in particular, that is when Christina went to Jennifer and told Jennifer that she had actually caught uh, Tracy and Celeste making out in one of the guest rooms. And so Jennifer and Christina basically team up and they're like, okay, we have to tell Stephen. So Jennifer and Christina confront Stephen about this and they tell Stephen what's going on. Stephen is obviously very mad about this. So he goes to Celeste and he tells her that he doesn't want to see Tracy there any longer. He doesn't want Celeste talking to Tracy. He doesn't want her in the house. He doesn't want her anywhere near her. And she agrees, but to never bring Tracy over to the house. Because after that, she still keeps in contact with Tracy. They're always on the phone together. They're always talking to each other. They're always hanging out with one another outside and not not ever in the house. So although she made that promise, it was definitely an empty promise because she was still seeing Tracy. So then on October 2nd of 1999, in the middle of the night around 3 a.m., that is when Stephen is jolted away awake from a stinging pain in his stomach and when he looks down he sees that his stomach is bleeding and he can't figure out what just happened he literally just woke up to a big bang and so he tries to call for Celeste but Celeste was sleeping in Jennifer's room that night because Jennifer was away at their cabin with her boyfriend and typically when one of the girls spends the night somewhere else Celeste will sleep in one of their bedrooms because she said that Steven's sleeping machine was way too loud to have her sleep in the bed with him. So she would usually sleep in one of the guest bedrooms or one of the girls' bedrooms for the night. So whilst Steven is trying to call for Celeste, he gets a hold of the nearest phone and he's able to call 911. And since this house was so huge, Steven was in one wing of the house and Celeste and Christina were in the other wing of the house. 
house. So even though Stephen was yelling and even though all of these ambulances and police cars were coming to the house, they couldn't really hear anything or wake up because of it. But eventually Celeste does wake up and when she does wake up, she looks around the house and that is when she sees a police officer standing outside of Stephen's bedroom and Celeste asks the police officer, what are you doing in my house? And the police officer replies that Stephen has suffered some sort of stomach injury and this is when Celeste started to become hysterical. She demanded that she wanted to see Stephen. She wanted to get in there. She wanted to know if he was okay, but the police couldn't let her in there and instead asked her a couple questions. They asked Celeste if Stephen had had any recent stomach surgeries and when she says no, the detective calls out that he had found a shell casing on the floor. So when the ambulance comes, Stephen is admitted into the hospital for immediate surgery and the police are investigating this whole scene trying to figure out what exactly happened because now that they know that there's a shell casing they know that someone had shot Stephen. So they start looking around the bedroom and they find a couple weird things. They found that this was definitely not a robbery because there were valuables laying all around the bedroom and nothing was touched. They did notice that the gate to get into their house was wide open when the police and the ambulance showed up. They also noticed that Stephen's sliding glass door to get into his bedroom is also unlocked, which again was very, very odd because if you have a room full of valuables, wouldn't you leave your doors locked? And they actually did have an automatic security system, which was turned off that night. So that was also a really, really big red flag. So at the hospital, a female detective is waiting with Celeste and Christina uh, just to make sure that everything is fine with Stephen. And whilst this female detective is kind of eyeing Celeste, seeing what her body language is like, she actually noticed that Celeste was wearing a bra. And this was a very small but very big detail because if you are sleeping, you're not going to be wearing a bra. And if she had just woken up recently, why was she wearing a bra? And if she knew that her husband was in danger and needed to get to the hospital, she wouldn't, you know, run back to her room, put on a bra and come back. So this was a really weird detail that the detective just kind of took note of, of like, okay, it looks like she's been out before this. Like she probably just wasn't sleeping. So whilst they're waiting for Stephen uh, to get out of surgery, that is when the detectives decide to ask Celeste a couple of questions and ask for her timeline of events. So Celeste said that Stephen went to bed between the hours of 9.30 and 10 p.m. that night. And then Celeste went to the lake house where uh, Jennifer and her boyfriend were at. So Celeste went up to the lake house just to check on the couple. And then she went and came back home, which was about a 40-minute drive. And then on the way home, she stopped for gas and then went straight to the house. She checked on Stephen and he was fine. So she went to go sleep in Jennifer's room because his sleeping machine was way too loud. And they also ask her if she has any, you know, idea of who could have done this. Does Stephen have any enemies, maybe some business enemies? But Celeste couldn't really think of anyone. She also said that there was really no problems in their marriage and they were actually booked to go on a Europe trip the very next day. So she had no clue who could have done this really. So Jennifer at the lake house right now with her boyfriend gets word from Celeste that uh, Stephen had been shot in his room. So Jennifer and her boyfriend rush to the hospital and that is when the police question Jennifer as well. They ask her if they have any suspicions on who could have done this and that is when Jennifer's boyfriend actually says that, oh, it's probably that girl, Crazy Tracy. And so the police are like, who is Crazy Tracy? And so that is when they mention Tracy Tarleton. And so they tell the police the whole story about how their relationship was a little bit more than just a friendship. They were very handsy and they also mention about the 
time that uh, Jennifer had caught them making out in the bedroom. And so their friendship was not really a friendship. It was a little bit more than that. And so with this in mind, the police find Tracy and go to her house. And immediately when they go there, uh, Tracy is very compliant with the police. She just basically lets them in and is wondering what's going on. And that is when the police say that Tracy is a suspect for the attempted murder of Stephen Beard. And so she is completely shocked by this information because she had no clue that this had happened. She was asking, you know, do you know who did this? What time was this? I I have nothing to do with this. And so the police, knowing that Tracy likes to hunt, they asked to take a look at her gun. And immediately when the police ask, like, hey, can we take a look at your gun? Tracy immediately says, why? Or like, what for? Which is very suspicious because if you had nothing to do with a crime, like you would be like, yes, here it is. Like, take it. I don't care. I just don't want to be, you know, suspected of this crime. But instead, she started asking questions about, you know, what this was for. She also asks the police if she needs a lawyer and the police are like, yeah, if you want to have a lawyer, you can. The police also tell Tracy that either she can hand over the gun and that will be that and, you know, they could just look at it. Tracy can keep it or they would have to come back to her house with a warrant and seize not only the gun but a bunch of other things in her house. So whilst Tracy goes to get the gun just to show the police because she doesn't want them to come back with a warrant, they're taking a look around Tracy's apartment and they realize that there is a lot of pictures of Tracy and Celeste, a little bit more than just, you know, regular pictures, you know, like typically, you know, you have your best friend then you have pictures of your best friend, but this definitely looked like a relationship than just a best friend. So they take note of all of these, you know, extra pictures. And then when Tracy comes back, she actually gives the gun to the police and tells the police that it was recently fired, but it was not fired at the Beard household. And so the police ask Tracy for her timeline of events the night before to ensure that she wasn't at the Beard household. And she said that the night before she had went to the shooting range and then after the shooting range she went for beer and pizza and then after that came home to sleep so the police end up taking the gun just in for a little bit of testing to see if the shell casing found at the crime scene matches that of Tracy's gun and that is the same time where Stephen had gone out of surgery and he had survived. So currently he was just recovering in surgery and now that the police know that Stephen is awake they want to ask Stephen questions. They want to know if they saw the face of whoever did this, if he has any suspicions, but whenever the police would try to ask Stephen these questions. Celeste just acted like a guard for Stephen. She said that, you know, it was disrespectful for the police to be asking all of these questions, you know, right when he got out of surgery. And the police are like, I know, I know Celeste, but please, ma'am, like we're just trying to help you. Don't you want to know who shot your husband? And Celeste just refused the police to talk to Stephen. She said, no, don't you dare go near him. And it got so bad to the point where Celeste had to hire a defense attorney to protect her against the police, which again is a huge red flag because I get it, you know, your husband's just out of surgery, you want him to recover, but if you also want to know who did this to him, you know, you're very frustrated that someone had just shot your husband, wouldn't you want to know who that person is and get that person locked up for the rest of their life for hurting your husband? But for some reason, Celeste was completely denying the police. So now that they know they can't really get any information from Steven, they decide to do a little bit of their own digging and look into Tracy's background. They see that uh, Tracy actually had an ex-best friend by the name of Zan, and Zan's husband had also been shot, and it was speculated that Tracy had something to do with this shooting of her ex-best friend's husband, but this was never proved um, from police statements. It just said that Zan's husband had shot himself, but it was really odd that one of Tracy's ex-best friends' husbands had been shot, and then Tracy's current best friend's husband 
also had been shot. So this was a really weird connection. And it was also said that shortly after Zan's husband was shot and in the hospital, he actually passed away. And shortly after the husband had died, Tracy and Zan had moved in together. And Tracy would tell all of Zan's friends to leave Zan alone, that she was grieving and this has nothing to do with them. And Tracy and Zan basically just lived together and lived their life as a couple together. They would go to places together. They would go out to eat. They would just do couple things. And again, this was very odd to the police because they're like, okay, what are the chances that this same situation seems to be happening again with Tracy? But eventually with the relationship of Zan and Tracy, they had broke it off. Tracy went her own way and Zan went her own way. And that is when she, you know, had her big explosion at her work, sent into St. David's where she met Celeste. And basically this whole entire pattern is now repeating with Celeste. And so they're very scared for Celeste now, not just Celeste, but also her kids as well. They're thinking that maybe Tracy might try to do something to Celeste's kids. And it was on the same exact day where the evidence came back of the shell casing and the gun and found that Tracy's gun was a perfect match to the shell casing found at the crime scene. So with this, on November 4th of 1999, Tracy was charged and arrested for the shooting of Stephen Beard, but she was later released after making bail. Stephen at this point was still in the hospital for about four months and went through many, many surgeries and physical therapies. And on January 18th of 2000, Stephen was actually able to go back home. So he went home. He was, you know, good to be home. He had his dogs once again. He loved his dog, Megan. That was Elise's dog. And so he just felt like it was a good time to be back home and literally the very next day after he was sent home he went back to the hospital after suffering a cardiac arrest and so once they you know once he suffered this cardiac arrest they started doing a bunch of testing on him and found that he actually had an infection in his system that was rapidly spreading and they couldn't really figure out where this infection had stemmed from and then on January 22nd at 75 years old that is when Stephen had unfortunately passed away in the hospital and that same exact night that Stephen had passed away Tracy was also rushed to the hospital because once she found the news that Stephen had died she knew that her charges were going to progress from attempted murder to murder so she attempted to kill herself by mixing drugs and alcohol but was unsuccessful and was rushed to the hospital and survived. So then on February 16th of 2001, the questioning of Tracy had started and Tracy refused to say anything about her and Celeste's relationship. She was, she was, she refused to talk anything about Celeste. She refused to talk about the incident. She refused to say that she was guilty. She just kept completely silent throughout all of the questioning. But as far as Celeste, Celeste told the police that after Stephen died, she fell into a very deep depression and she felt really, really guilty about all of this. She felt like it was just all of her fault. But although she said she felt like this, her actions did not support her words. She, the day after Stephen had passed away, she actually called their bank and asked the bank how much money she would be getting from Stephen. And apparently in Stephen's will, he had uh, a certain like allowance to be given to uh, Celeste after he died because he, even Stephen himself, did not trust Celeste with all of this money. So he made sure to set a certain allowance to give Celeste each week just so, you know, she could still get by but without blowing all the money in one go. So as far as Jennifer and Christina, after hearing Stephen had passed away, Jennifer and Christina were absolutely heartbroken over this. As I said, they really looked up to Stephen as a father. Stephen had adopted them. Stephen had put them into school, gave them clothes and jewelry and anything they wanted. And they really, really loved Stephen. And seeing their mother 
and how she was just so nonchalant about the whole situation really made them fear their mother and have this really deep gut feeling that she possibly had something to do with this. So Celeste, shortly after the death of Stephen, she basically just kind of started blowing all of her allowance on whatever she felt like. She was hosting parties. She hired an assistant to run her errands. She partied a lot with her assistant. She started dating a bartender named Spencer Colin Johnson, aka Cole was his nickname. So shortly after Stephen had died, she had gotten a boyfriend. And again, this was very disrespectful to Jennifer and Christina because they were going through all of this grief and heartbreak while Celeste just seemed like this death didn't affect her at all. Friends also told the police that Celeste had actually had an affair while she was married to Stephen with her previous husband, Jimmy Martinez. Celeste had referred to Jimmy in the police room as BMW, which stands for big, you you can kind of figure it out. I'm not going to say that because it's also kind of racist. Um, you can look it up if you want. It's also kind of racist, so just forewarned. But the reason why I mention that is because you can clearly tell that this relationship meant nothing to her. Even though she was married to Jimmy and she was also married to uh, Steven, this relationship meant nothing to her. She didn't really have empathy for anyone. She basically just treated everyone like they were doing favors for her and the world was just run by her. And so... She did confess to the affair while she was married, and she also said that um, she did, in fact, confess to Stephen, and Stephen had forgave her for this affair with Jimmy, and that is when they actually booked the Europe trip that they were supposed to go on the next day because they were planning on renewing their vows during this trip. So, as I said earlier, Jennifer and Christina just had this really weird feeling when it came to Celeste. They just felt like they needed to do something. They had this deep gut feeling that something was wrong. So, Jennifer and Christina decide to go to the police and tell the police exactly everything that's been going on with Celeste. Jennifer tells the police that that night that Stephen was shot, Celeste had actually came to the lake house to check up on her and her boyfriend. But when she did check up on them, she actually had Megan the dog with her and this was a very odd thing for her to do because Megan and Steven were like best friends they were jointed at the hip always together uh the dog Megan would actually start to cry whenever Steven left because that's how much Megan was attached to Steven so the fact that Celeste had brought Megan to the lake house for no reason was very very odd and to police this kind of seemed like maybe Celeste knew what was going on and knew that if she brought the dog to the lake house, the dog wouldn't bark when Tracy walked into the house and then waking up Stephen and ruining the whole plan. Because what other reason why Celeste would bring Megan to the lake house just to show Megan the lake house. And Jennifer also said that the reason why Celeste had brought Megan to the lake house is because she said that Stephen that night had been drinking a lot and was becoming very abusive to Celeste and the dog Megan. And this made no sense to Jennifer because as I said, Megan and Stephen were like best friends. So it would make no sense why Stephen would become very physically aggressive towards the dog even when Stephen was never really physically abusive at all before so this was very odd but she just kind of went with it because she was very confused and so they also confessed to the police about all these like weird instances between Tracy and Celeste the time that they saw Tracy and Celeste making out and all of these weird things that they would do together like play with each other's hair whisper in each other's ear they also noted that Celeste moved on very very quickly and now she has a boyfriend named Cole and she's basically just blowing all of her money on all of these trips and basically just spoiling Cole 
Cole as she did Tracy. She bought Cole a whole new wardrobe, a bunch of jewelry. They were going on many, many trips together. They went to Africa, Europe, first class. Like they were basically just living a luxurious lifestyle. And the girls felt very scared of their mother because they knew deep down that Celeste had something to do with it. And they were fearful of their own lives. You know, what if Celeste wants all this money to herself and she kills us for it next? So that is when the police issue a restraining order against Celeste for the girls. The girls also say in the police uh, questioning that they actually caught Celeste crushing sleeping pills in Steven's food a couple of times, making him sleep uh, very early. And she also was caught replacing Steven's vodka with 190 proof Everclear to make him sleep even earlier so she doesn't have to, quote, deal with him. There were also several occasions during heated arguments with Celeste where she would say that she already saved up a bunch of money for all three of their caskets and she was going to bury them in all of them. So even before all of this, Celeste was making really odd death threats to the family. And then on July 3rd of 2000, that is when the restraining order was issued. And usually during this, you know, um, throughout this whole custody battle with like Jennifer and Christina, you definitely saw that Celeste had love for her girls, but you would think that this restraining order would be a very big hit for Celeste, maybe even a wake-up call and be like, okay, I need to start taking care of my kids. You would think that she would go through some sort of depression over this, but instead she just acted like she didn't really care about it. She was like, okay, you know, that's fine. I don't, that means I don't have to care for you guys anymore. That means more money for me. So right after the restraining order, she went ahead and married Cole and sold Steven's house for $2 million and they moved into a house together, her and Cole. They traveled first class to places like Africa, Scotland, Ireland, and Canada. And all while this is happening, Tracy is still in jail and Tracy has no clue of what's going on. She doesn't know that she has a new boyfriend, Cole. She doesn't know about the trips. She doesn't know about the restraining order. She has no clue. She just thinks that Celeste is super heartbroken right now because she doesn't get to see Tracy and she doesn't know that Tracy is actually out there living her life. So then one day while Tracy is sitting in jail, she reads that Celeste had actually gotten married to a man named Cole. And so once she reads this and realizes that, you know, Celeste actually had no feelings for Tracy, she was basically just using Tracy as a way for her husband to die. And then once her husband died, she could run off with all of his money. And so once Tracy starts to come to terms with this, she gets very angry at Celeste. She starts realizing that she had just been used and that this was never for love. This was all for money and she was basically just taken advantage of. So when she realizes all of this, all of this is coming to terms to her. She sits down with the detectives and that's when she's like, okay, what do you guys want to know? I will tell you absolutely anything you want to hear. So as far as Tracy's side of events, Tracy says that her and Celeste were in a relationship. They would kiss, they would hold hands, they had a secret love relationship together, but since Celeste was married, they had no choice but to keep it a secret. She said that Celeste would frequently come to Tracy complaining about all of her marital issues, saying that if she had to spend another day with Steven, she would kill herself because of mental strain. Celeste also told Tracy that Steven was physically and verbally abusive to her and her two daughters, Jennifer and Christina. And Tracy, as I said, was abused as a kid by her father. So hearing this, she just felt really bad for Tracy. She felt like she wanted to be the hero and try to get Celeste and her kids out of this situation because she didn't want those poor kids to feel like how she she felt when she was younger and she also felt like Celeste felt the same way about her because Celeste would go and sneak out to hang out with Tracy in the middle of the night until about 
three in the morning every single night and she would also replace his vodka as well to put him in a deep sleep so she could hang out with Tracy all night. Tracy also said that Celeste tried to kill Stephen herself on two different occasions. One of the occasions she tried to overdose Stephen by crushing ecstasy in his drink but he survived and so she tried again by poisoning his chili dog but again he survived. There was even one night in particular where Celeste had crushed sleeping pills in Stephen's drink and Celeste had called Tracy over and asked Tracy to help suffocate Stephen to death. Now Tracy was not okay with this idea. She was like I don't want to kill Stephen. Are you crazy? And she's like if you don't do it I'm just gonna have to kill myself then. So she was basically just just telling Tracy, if you don't kill my husband, I am going to kill myself. And because of this, Tracy felt like she had no choice. Even though she did have a choice, she could have, you know, not have killed Stephen, but she felt very cornered. She felt like she had to do this. She didn't want Celeste to die. And she felt like the only way Celeste wouldn't die is if Stephen was dead. And so that is when they came up with a plan to kill Stephen. The plan was that Celeste that night was going to disarm all of the security systems as well as keeping the gate open and the sliding door to his bedroom unlocked. And so um, around 3 a.m. that night, that is when uh Tracy had came over to the household and the plan was to shoot Stephen while he was sleeping. Tracy walked through the open gate and she also came around to the open sliding glass door and she said that she stood at the foot of his bed, closed her eyes, and just shot the gun with a 20 gauge shotgun. And immediately when she shot it, she just ran out. She didn't stick around to see if Stephen had survived it. She didn't stick around to see if she had even shot Stephen because she closed her eyes during this whole thing. She basically just shot the gun and ran off because she was scared but she felt like this is what she had to do to keep Celeste alive. So once Tracy found out that Stephen had actually survived the surgery, Tracy went to Celeste and tried to, you know, tell her, hey, I'm scared that he is going to survive and maybe he saw me and I'm going to go to jail. Celeste had actually told Tracy that Stephen is 100% going to die because she said that even if he does survive his surgery, she would put some sort of bacteria into his wounds so that an infection would spread all over into his body and he would end up dying anyways. Now, Tracy didn't know that infection was the cause of Stephen's death. So when they heard Tracy say this, they were like, okay, Celeste definitely had something to do with this. And so then after hearing Tracy's side, that is when May 28th of 2002, Celeste was arrested at her dog groomers and was charged with the murder of Stephen. April 1st of 2002, Tracy pled guilty and she told the story against Celeste and was given 20 years. And the reason why she was given such a light sentence is because she actually made a deal with the police that if she went to court and she pled against Celeste, they would only give her 20 years. And so that's exactly what Tracy did. Christina and Jennifer were also at the trial as well and tested against Celeste as well. Celeste, when she was in court, she basically just preached innocence. She said that everybody was out to get her and she actually blamed Tracy and said that Tracy was obsessed with her and Tracy was severely mentally unstable as well as suffering schizophrenia. Now, at the time, Tracy was not diagnosed with schizophrenia. Tracy didn't even have schizophrenia. So it would, it really made no sense why Celeste would say that. It more just sounded like Celeste was trying to come up with all of these buzzwords to get the court on her side, but it really wasn't working. Uh, there was just way too much evidence against Celeste. It was also said that shortly after Stephen found out about the affair between Celeste and Tracy, uh, he basically told Celeste that he doesn't want Tracy over at the house anymore and he doesn't want uh, Tracy to keep in contact with Celeste. If Celeste hated Tracy that much and felt like Tracy was upset, obsessed with her, you would think that this moment she would stop talking to Tracy or maybe this would give her a way out of the friendships to stop talking to Tracy. 
But phone records show that after that conversation, they still talked every single day. And between the dates of August 29th and October 1st, 33 days, there were 98 calls made. So in 33 days, 98 calls, that's multiple calls a day. And there was also eight different calls made on the day of the shooting. And then the day after Tracy was made suspect, there were 94 more calls still being made. So even though Celeste says that Tracy was this like you know, insane, obsessed stalker person, she was still keeping in contact with Tracy. She didn't block Tracy's number. She was still hanging out with her. She was still talking to her multiple times a day. So then after that, Celeste was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison, but given the possibility of parole in 2042 when she's 80 years old. And that is basically the end of this story as far as everyone now tracy was released in 2011 after serving her time and after her release she lived a pretty quiet and private life um but she has done a couple of interviews since then and she says that she is still eaten up by the guilt of her actions and shortly after her release as well the people of her community in san antonio held a fundraiser for tracy to try to get her a jump start on her life again because a lot of people found sympathy with Tracy after this whole situation. And then as far as the daughters, the daughters are now 40 years old and they say that they haven't seen their mother since she was sentenced to life. They haven't seen her in prison and they haven't seen her in prison and they also deny all claims that Stephen was abusive. They said that Stephen was a wonderful father and all of the claims that Celeste is making that he was abusive, they say that that just wasn't true. Celeste to this day still preaches innocence. She says that her daughters are out to get her and her daughters were actually the ones that killed Stephen and it wasn't her and Celeste still sits in prison to this day. So that is the end of today's story. If you guys found this interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you're watching the visual version. But if you're listening to the audio version, make sure to rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on right now. And yeah, um, this was a very heavy case. Uh, You can put in your own thoughts and opinions on this case in the comments below if you feel called to. Do you guys feel like Tracy deserved life in prison as well? Because Celeste got life in prison, but Tracy did the act. And I feel like if Tracy didn't do the act, Celeste would either have done it herself or found someone else to do it for her. But do you feel sympathy for Tracy or do you feel like, you know, if you did the crime, you got to do the time? And even though she was kind of manipulated into doing it, she still did it. And murder at the end of the day is wrong no matter what. So, yes, that is the end of today's story. Um, That was episode two of Behind You. And if you guys enjoy this series, make sure to subscribe and make sure to come back next Tuesday for the audio version of episode three of Behind You and next Wednesday for the visual version of the third episode of Behind You. Again, thank you guys so, so much for giving me this opportunity and this platform to do really, you know, cool stuff like this. And yeah, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day and I will see you next week. Bye.